0: Has there ever been a time when Christian apologetics was more needed than it is today? If you haven't seen it yet, the new report came out from the Barna Group a couple of days ago, and they're reporting that only 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview. That's 13.2 million Americans. Now, when my wife Elisa and I joined Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, that was back in 2018, that number was 9% or 29.7 million. That means that in just five years, 16.5 million Americans have given up on the Christian worldview. Why? Well, it's not because the Christian worldview is any less true than it ever has been. It's not because people are getting smarter. At least part of the reason could be that we as American Christians have lost our ability to articulate what we believe and answer objections to the Christian worldview, and to do so in a way that leads directly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need more Christians articulating the faith, the Christian message today. And when we do, our neighbors are going to have questions. They're going to have objections. So we need to be ready to answer those questions and objections. We need apologetics. And that is what we're talking about today. This is Worldview Legacy, the podcast from the Think Institute that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedeckes. I'm a former pastor and missionary, and I used to defend my faith the completely wrong way. Then the Lord changed my attitude and my approach, and today I help Christian laymen to build a legacy where they and their kids and their wives are able to boldly articulate what the Bible teaches about life's biggest questions and to answer the world's challenges to the Christian faith. How do you use presuppositional apologetics? This is one of the questions that people ask most often when they join our free community, the Think Squad. And that makes sense. Most people have heard of presuppositionalism, but they might not quite know how it works. By understanding this approach, you will become better able to answer your kids' questions, and to speak up for the truth of the biblical worldview in your workplace and in your local area. Whether you've studied presuppositionalism before or not, maybe you just want to sharpen up your approach, maybe you're totally new to it, this episode is for you. It's going to help you live a more confident Christian life. In this episode, you're going to get the answers to these questions. What is apologetics? Why must we defend the biblical worldview in a biblical way? And how can you start using a simple three-step method of presuppositional apologetics today? What you're about to hear is an introduction. If you want the full guide, you need to join our free online community. This is where you can discuss and learn from over 750 others who are on the same journey that you're on. Each week, we're discussing thought-provoking questions and sharing helpful resources like this brand new guide, Introduction to Presuppositional Apologetics, the full guide has seven sessions with audio and print and a diagram to help you understand how apologetics fits into the evangelism process. Right now, the only way to get access to all seven sessions is to join the Think Squad group. I'm going to tell you how to get access to the group after the show. What is apologetics? Well, John M. Frame is a scholar, a theologian a prolific and influential author, and someone who has impacted my own theology on apologetics greatly. And here's what he says about the subject of apologetics. He defines it as the theological discipline that defends the truth of the Christian message, or the application of Scripture to unbelief. In my own personal example, it was the application of Scripture to my own unbelieving thought that resolved my own objection to Christianity. Notice that neither definition that John Frame gives includes the word philosophy, neither definition includes the words science or reason or evidence. Instead, we see words like theological, which means having to do with the study and knowledge of God. We also see the word scripture, which is the word of God. So we learn from this how we are going to approach apologetics, Apologetics is not just a discipline that is derived from philosophy or dependent on scientific evidence or historiography. All these things are good, but a person does not need to be a philosophy major or an expert in the latest scientific advancements in order to defend the truth of the Christian faith and worldview. The field of Christian apologetics, as we're going to look at it, is principally concerned not with man's ideas, but with God and his word. It's a theological discipline. This is really good news for everyday Christians who want to do apologetics, people like you and me. They may not ever get that philosophy degree. You might not ever go to seminary, but you do have a Bible. And your Bible, not your in-depth knowledge of Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, and Albert Einstein, as good as that knowledge can be, it's your knowledge of the Bible that is going to have the biggest impact on your apologetic method. Your Bible is your most important apologetic tool. We're going to see that more and more clearly as we continue. When do you actually need apologetics? Well, it's not always necessary. If you're evangelizing and sharing the gospel with someone and they're tracking with you, they're ready to receive Jesus Christ right then and there, you don't need to stop the conversation and start proving that scripture is reliable or that the resurrection is true. Bring that lost sheep home. Apologetics is needed when the person that you're speaking with raises an objection or a question like, you know, I could never believe in a God who would send someone to hell. Now you're doing apologetics. You can think of apologetics as kind of like a cycle. The Christian finds himself in a conversation with someone who believes differently. There's a clash of worldviews, not in a violent sense. And it becomes clear that there are two competing perspectives of the world in play, two different worldviews. It's a worldview clash. The believer then works his way around to sharing the gospel with the unbeliever with the intent to persuade him to repent and trust in Jesus to become a Christian. At this point, the unbeliever raises an objection. He says, you know, he can't believe in a God who would send someone to hell or who would allow so much evil in the world. And now the Christian is engaged in apologetics. He can do it well, or he can do it poorly. He can be convincing, or he can be unconvincing. He can do it biblically or unbiblically, but there is no avoiding the apologetic encounter. There is no avoiding the fact that apologetics is taking place. The goal of the believer must always be, if possible, to get back to the gospel. Apologetics is a mean to an end. It's not an end unto itself. You want your discussion partner, your friend, to know the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and the freedom that comes from being forgiven and reconciled to God. So apologetics really should serve your evangelism. When it comes to how to actually defend your faith against any objection, I teach a three step presuppositional apologetic approach. Let me tell you about those three steps. Step one, you're going to show the problem with the unbiblical position. Reveal how the person's argument is inconsistent. His or her basic beliefs don't actually lead to the conclusion he or she wants them to lead to. Push the unbeliever toward that contradiction. And this might seem counterintuitive because you want the unbeliever to abandon the unbiblical contr- contradictory position. And that is exactly why, though, that you must push them toward the contradiction. Before your your conversation, your discussion, he or she may have been complacent in his or her worldview. He was holding contradictions, but he didn't know it, so he didn't feel bad about it. Your goal is to show him that his worldview is actually absurd and to make him feel restless and dissatisfied for holding it. This is where you perform what the philosophers call a reductio ad absurdum. You're going to reduce the position to absurdity by uncovering its contradictions and the inconsistencies between its basic beliefs, the presuppositions, and the conclusions, or the premises and the conclusions. Because it's contradictory, it must be false. You're going to perform a reductio ad absurdum to make him deal with the absurdity of his worldview. When done right, this can be a beautiful thing. Next, step two. Show how the Bible solves the problem. You've shown the problem with the unbiblical position, but how does the Bible solve it? Well, there are three parts to how we're going to do this. In part one, you're going to listen to the unbeliever's objection, whatever their challenge is, and you're going to think about what conditions are necessary for that objection to stick, for it to hurt. Suppose someone raises the objection, the God of the Bible is immoral. Well, morality is one of those things that help us make sense out of the world. You know, ethical obligations, they're very important. Since we believe that Scripture enables us to make sense of the world and human experience, this is a really, really important objection to be able to handle. So think about what's necessary for that objection to stick, to hurt, to be meaningful. What would that be? How about morality? There must be a standard of morality that you would use to judge God as immoral. Without moral rules, how could you possibly say whether God or you, me, anybody else were disobeying Moral rules and acting immorally. So we have to presuppose moral rules, morality, but what must that moral standard be like? What are those moral rules, those ethical rules, be like? What must they be like? Can they be made out of matter? No. As my friend Larry Dolendi likes to say, you can't hand, hand me a bucket of morality. He says something like that. Larry, you can correct me. Likewise, these rules must also be absolute, so they have no exceptions, and they are universal. They apply to everyone, everywhere, at all times, and these rules are knowable. Otherwise, how could we possibly know them in order to appeal to them? Furthermore, these rules deal with interpersonal interactions. So, These rules must be grounded in an interpersonal reality if they're going to be objectively and universally true. So now that we know what these conditions are, what conditions must be necessary in order for the objection to make sense, we're going to go on to step—or to part two. Part two is we're going to evaluate the biblical worldview and see how it gives the basis for those conditions— We're going to show how the the Christian worldview itself, centered on the Bible, grounded in the Bible, gives us the very criteria needed to even raise the objection. Does the biblical worldview give a basis for the conditions of morality, for example? Absolutely. The Bible teaches that God himself is good. He's the standard for morality, the basis for goodness. And God is immaterial. He's spirit. He's not matter. He is absolute. He's universal. He is knowable. He reveals himself to us. And God is three in one. So ethical obligations that deal with interpersonal interaction can be grounded in God. Within the biblical worldview, we have a basis for morality that makes good and perfect sense. Part three, show how the biblical worldview does not violate those conditions. In the biblical worldview, does God violate the study that the Bible teaches? Not in any way, shape, or form. At this point, we are making a positive case. So we might explain how our discussion partner has misunderstood a passage of Scripture, or how God has the right to do whatever it is that He did. Whereas you and I would not have the same right because he's God, he's the authority, we are not. And that's not special pleading, that's a categorical difference. Or we might just say something like this. We might say, I can't fully explain why God did what he did, but by definition, he is the very standard of morality, and it's impossible for him to do anything immoral. If that were the case, if he did, well, morality would be totally meaningless and neither of us wants that. By performing an internal critique in this way, you are inviting your discussion partner to step into the biblical worldview for the sake of argument in order to show that the Christian message is consistent within itself. In fact, the Christian worldview and Christian message is necessary in order to even argue against it or to make sense of human experience at all. Now, you've already shown that the non-Christian position has contradictions and must be false. And so this is now an important step in bringing your friend to the truth of the Christian worldview, and at the heart of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is going to lead us to step three of our three-step apologetic process. Show how Jesus solves the ultimate problem. This is an evangelistic appeal, and it's going to flow naturally from the first two steps. We showed the problem in the unbiblical worldview. We showed how the Bible solves that problem. And the center of the Bible is Jesus. So we're going to raise the ultimate problem. We're going to show how Jesus solves that problem. Okay, so the same Bible that teaches that God is the basis and standard for morality and logic and science and meaning and everything else— good and perfect and true in this world. That same Bible also says that all have sinned and that the wages of sin is death. Hell, this is the biggest problem. How do we get reconciled to a righteous God that we have sinned against? Well, the same verse in the Bible that tells us that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, also says this, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're going to invite the person to put his faith in Christ Jesus. Let him know that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. In other words, exactly how the Old Testament said that he would. He was buried. So he was really dead. And then he rose again on the third day. The most glorious news in all of history, and it's true And Jesus Christ, having paid the price for our sins, ascended to heaven and now currently reigns at the right hand of the Father, R-E-I-G-N-S, and he is Lord. He has the authority to grant eternal life to everyone who asks him to do so. Everyone who turns from their sin and repents and trusts in him. So now you know. Apologetics is the discipline defending the truth of the Christian message. We must defend the biblical worldview in a biblical way because the non-Christian's biggest problem is not a lack of evidence or argument, but rather a lack of faith. And Scripture itself is the means that God uses to bring about that saving faith in our hearts and minds. And you can start using a three-step presuppositional approach today very simply with these three steps— One, show the problem with the non-Christian position. Two, show how the Bible solves that problem. And three, show how Jesus solves the ultimate problem. Now, do you want to grow as the worldview leader that your family and your church need? And would you like to get access to all these seven sessions of this guide, Introduction to Presuppositional Apologetics? And would you like that? Absolutely free. Join our free online community. Join the Think Squad. To get access to this group, all you have to do is open up Facebook and search for Think Squad, T H I N K S Q U A D. Answer the short membership questions. That is all that it takes. Thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. Thank you to the Think Squad members who asked for this resource. I hope you found it helpful. And this episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedeques, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain share, and defend the Christian message. And we are based by God's grace.